I'll, I'll just a kind of a quick transition. A year ago, I came to Synergy and I went, of course, to a church planting session and I wanted to soak in everything that I could about church planting. This was right before we announced to our congregation that we were going to plant. And I walked into the room and there was only one person in the room before me and it was a woman named Neha. And Neha had been at People's Church about four years earlier. And when Neha and her husband Chand were at People's Church, I thought it would be great someday if I plan a church to have Chand and Neha on our team. Neha grew up in the north of India as a Hindu, and Chand grew up in the south of India as a Muslim, and both of them came to know Christ as their Savior and got married. They're in the United States on an IT visa right now, and they live in Columbus. The Holy Spirit prompted them to join us to launch People's Church East, and they drive from Columbus every single week to be a part of our church plant. This, I believe, is in response to a prayer that I've been praying for several years, which was, God, help us to reach Muslims in our community. And so I would, uh, my favorite restaurant's a, a Pakistani restaurant. I used to walk, it was two minutes down the street from People's Church, and uh, there would be men and women most of them from the Middle East, and we'd sit at a community-style table, and I would literally talk to people who came from Saudi Arabia, and their first day in America was the day before. <laughs> and I started praying for their salvation. I started um, building relationships. I did have the opportunity to share the gospel with two men, one from Saudi Arabia, one from uh, Egypt, and that was fun. We were talking about uh, the, the sacrifice of uh, Abraham and his son Isaac and the symbolism there and that celebration. That was something I had read in a missions magazine that one of the missionaries we supported. Here's a way to talk about the gospel. And so um, it's fun to watch God at work. And so that's really what I want to talk about today is how to be a missional church to reach people in our community, but how to be a church that cares deeply about missions, about unreached peoples to the ends of the earth. In my experience, especially since we're in the city center of Cincinnati, those two things are really one and the same. And I think the story of Chanda Neha illustrate that greatly um, because they're in our community, they're part of our church, and yet they were reached by missionaries to hear the gospel for the first time. And now they're investing in Americans today who, who live in Mount Washington who are part of People's Church East. And so how do, how do we do both things and how do we do them well? A little bit uh, about my story. Um, I grew up at First Christian Assembly of God, now People's Church. It's 112 years old. Uh, at the age of 16, I got called into the ministry. I went to a revival service. I heard a uh, what I would call a forgettable message, right? There wasn't anything profound by it. It was an evening. I had driven myself as a teenager to hear the presentation. None of my friends went. My family did not attend. I heard the message, there was an invitation for prayer. Uh, a man gently laid his hands on the side of my neck, and I was out cold on the ground. Um, I was out for about 15 minutes, and when I woke up, I just, the way I describe it is I was branded in the heart, I was called into ministry. It was this undeniable, like, you know, I wanted to, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a park ranger. I thought that sounded pretty cool, right? I was 16. I liked the outdoors. And my life radically changed. I, I, I dove into the Word of God, uh, just started reading it like crazy, started spending time in prayer and worship in my home, and then just started sharing the gospel on, on the streets of Cincinnati uh, to my friends at high school, to my coworkers at Kroger, um, on the streets around the church, I would drive myself to the mall on a Friday night and share the gospel with people in the mall. Um, 
it took me a little while to learn you don't just go up to people cold <laughs> and say, what do you think about Jesus? But if you spend time in prayer, listening to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, who do you want me to share your love with tonight? Man, I might only have one or two connections, but those would be people in tears. People who would be open to receive the gospel. And so it was really in that experience that... that as God gave me a passion to reach people, I found out that I was reaching all kinds of people. I was sharing the gospel with Barty at, at, at Kroger, and she was uh, a Hindu and, and never had set foot in a Christian church. I was sharing the gospel with Amina and Kola. They were from Pakistan, and they were co-workers. They worked in produce, and I got to tell them about Jesus. I was sharing the gospel with African-American men who had lived a difficult life and, and could show me their bullet wounds and, and tell me stories, and I was inviting them to... It, it, I was sharing the gospel with my white friends who lived in the suburban neighborhood I lived in. And and what happened was this passion for Jesus and this desire to preach the gospel had no boundaries or limits. And uh, what was exciting was that at First Christian Assembly, the church had a culture of supporting missions. And so often on a Sunday morning or in a Sunday evening service, we'd have a missionary come and just share their passion for a, a far-off place and, and that we need to support missions and the church would give generously. And, and it just was really a, a cool experience to watch God at work in my community and, and hear about God at work overseas. And uh, those two things seem to be one, share one heartbeat, and that's that Jesus loves all people. Um, I went to El Salvador on my first missions trip, had a great time with King's Castle. Maybe some of you are familiar with the Triplets Ministry. Uh, tremendous opportunity. Um, and I, I've, I've been to Nicaragua and Peru and Croatia and several other places in the world. And um, the common theme is, is that God's at work in, inside of people no matter where they come from, no matter what their background, no matter what their religion, no matter how their home environment is, God's at work. And I've, I've just kind of learned as I've stepped into ministry um, that this idea uh, that Jesus gives, the Great Commission, all, all authority on heaven and earth has been given me, and so therefore I send you, right? Uh, this says go and make disciples of what? All nations, right? All, all ethnic groups. Um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then again, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to where? The ends of the earth, right? And so, I believe wholeheartedly and with a lot of passion that the Great Commission and this Acts 1-8 mandate that when the Spirit comes on us, we're supposed to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I believe that each one of us has an invitation to participate fully in this mission by God to reach all people. I mean fully. I don't mean just in part, but fully. And I believe it's a discipleship issue to learn to be all things to all people. Can you imagine if, if I, if the, the Church of Jesus Christ today, even in America, would have just said, we're just going to reach people in our community and we're not going to do missions? Think about the many nations in the earth that wouldn't have heard the gospel if people didn't realize that we need to go and make disciples of all nations. Out of curiosity, anyone know the first missionary out of the United States? Anyone know the first missionary? This is kind of fun. There's, there's recently been a change in this. The first missionary from the U.S. is a man named George Lyle. And George Lyle was actually uh, an African-American man who was a slave, who earned his freedom 
had a passion to preach the gospel and ended up going to the uh, Caribbean islands to share Jesus. That's the first missionary from America. Do you know that part of our history as a country, because of the segregation, there were men and women of color in our nation who had a call to be a missionary and we, we told them that they couldn't go because of the color of their skin. But the first missionary was a black man, George Lyle. Do you know that the Holy Spirit was poured out at Azusa Street led by a man, William Seymour, a black man, right? Do you know that William Seymour went to Bible college in Cincinnati? Do you know that William Seymour was discipled intentionally by a pastor in Ohio, a white pastor in Ohio, to have a heart for all people and do church together? And so what happens in Azusa Street in California when when what the Los Angeles Times described as a disgraceful intermingling of the races, white, black, and Latino, was something that William Seymour was actually intentionally discipled in, in the state of Ohio, that manifested itself in the presence of God being poured out with great power. Do you know that the Azusa Street Revival sparked a great movement of global missions? And so this idea of having a heart for all people, it starts here at home. Satan is a divider. Jesus is a uniter. And so there's been this history that we have here in America where Satan has divided his people. And because of that, when there's division, we can't preach the whole gospel to the whole earth. I want to illustrate it a different way. Sometimes America gets a bad rap. Do you know that all throughout the earth, Satan has divided us because of the color of our skin, because of the way our facial features look? There's a missionary couple named Josh and Lindy Johnson in Nepal. And uh, they walk and backpack in the the Himalayan mountains. And they met a man um, and they shared the gospel with him. And that man was from a, a high caste a, a, a Brahmin priest. And what makes someone part of that high caste uh, in, the, in those regions of the world is oftentimes when the British came in and colonized those areas and there was intermarrying or relationships, there were people who were born with Euro-descent facial features. Those became the highest caste. Did you know that? And so the Brahmin priest came to know Jesus as his Savior and without any prompting within the first year of following Jesus went into a village to someone from the lowest caste system called an untouchable. In fact, um, they so don't want to come into contact with an untouchable that they say that they'll avoid the shadow of an untouchable. Do you know that this man went and embraced an untouchable? Because of the love of Jesus in his heart. You see, if we don't have a heart for all people, untouchables will never hear about Jesus. If we buy into the lie of the enemy and follow the the social constructs, constructs that have been created then the whole gospel won't be preached in the whole earth. The, the idea of doing uh, gospel work in Samaria or to the ends of the earth will never happen because Samaria is the wrong side of the railroad tracks, right? Those are people we don't associate with. So uh, I want to share with you uh, what we've been doing at at People's Church, this is new even to this past year. Um, we've had this vision for racial reconciliation. Our vision is to be a racially reconciling and generationally rich church. We were a 99% white commuter church living in a very diverse neighborhood. We went through an intentional process. Not only do we worship together black and white, but 33 nations have come as a result. We've baptized and discipled people from all around the world, some who go back to their home country. Um, and what's so cool is it's it's not 
a one-way thing, right? I've been discipled by people from all around uh, the world as a part of my people's church experience. But we created, uh, in addition to our vision, a mission. And it's this, to create access for all people to Jesus and His kingdom. Um, And I want to just share a little bit about a Bible study I just did with the the core group that's joining us for a church plant. Uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to title it Open, Creating Access for All Peoples. Uh, When Jesus came in first century Judaism, He came to open the kingdom up for everyone to enjoy. And he saw a system of corruption. He saw Pharisees and Sadducees who were using their leadership for their own gain. And when Jesus comes, he comes as a man of the streets. And he connects with real people and he cares for the poor. He sits with tax collectors and sinners. But he also comes to open the gospel up for all nations, for every ethnic group. And we see this beautiful picture in the story of the Samaritan woman. And I know all of us know this well, but I want to show you a new insight. John chapter 4, verse 9. She says, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Gentiles. Jesus is breaking the rules. Jesus has crossed the other side of the railroad tracks. Jesus is about to create access for all people to God's kingdom. And in order to do that, he's doing something very intentional. It actually says that the, 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 the Holy Spirit had him go to, he had to go through Samaria. And here he is with this woman. Check out this statement. Have you seen this before? For Jews don't associate with Gentiles. Okay, This actual Greek word, Jews don't associate with Gentiles. If you're on like your Bible app, there's two little dots that you can hit, right? And it says, or use the same dishes. And this Greek word actually means to use with or use jointly. This is the primary translation of the Greek word. The the secondary is to not associate with. And so the woman is shocked. Here's the real shocker. It's not just that they're talking, but when he asks her to give him something to drink... She's perplexed because she's saying, you can't drink out of my cup. Are you kidding me? And then he says to her, well, if you would have known who I am, you know, you would have asked me for living water and I would have given you something to drink. And she's equally shocked. Wait a second. You would let me drink from your cup? And that's why she says, the well is deep and you have nothing to draw water with. She's, she knows she has something to draw water with, right? She's drawing water right then. She's saying that because she knows he can't use the same dish as her. Now check this out. When the disciples come back from town because they're buying food, um, they're perplexed. Could someone have brought him food because he says, I, I don't need anything to eat. And the whole point of them leaving him was to get him something to eat. Do you know why that they're why they're making this statement? Because they know there's no way that Jesus would have received food from the Samaritan woman. Why? Because they don't use the same dishes. <laughs> right? And so this whole text is not just about the association, but it's about the idea that there's no way that they would have shared dishes. Now, are you ready for this? Where's this? This is America. What's happening here? There's two different drinking fountains. Why are there two different drinking fountains? Because people didn't want to use the same dish. How many years after Jesus came to open the kingdom up for everyone has this photo taken place? This is in the 1950s, 1960s. What does that mean? 2,000 years after Jesus came, to open up the kingdom for everyone to enjoy. 2,000 years after Jesus started crossing some of these barriers, these divisions, these constructs that man had created, that, that Satan was behind, we're still trying to figure out what it means to create access for all people to Jesus and His kingdom. It wasn't until 1964 that the Civil Acts Act uh, right 
said that it's not okay for us to do that in America. Guess what? The church in America should have said that's not okay because Jesus modeled that for us 2,000 years earlier. Why do I share that? I believe if all people are going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we got to get over the hang-ups that exist in our world. Do you know that as a, as a white Euro-descent people have an I-self-concept? An I-self-concept. I'm teaching my kids right now to be individuals, right? <laughs> uh, being independent is a high value for me as a white American, and I'm teaching my children how to make decisions on their own. But do you know that most of the world has, two-thirds of the world has a we-self-concept? The way they understand themselves is in the concept, their concept of themselves is within their community. And I, I heard Beth Grant speak so eloquently on this. She introduced the idea that, do you know in parts of the world it's not okay to ask a young woman if she'd like to make a decision to follow Jesus because she would have to go back and ask her parents and grandparents if it was okay for her to follow Jesus because that decision is a community decision. That decision is how she understands her world. The Jewish culture has a we self-concept. And so when Jesus says this perplexing statement, anyone who would follow me must hate their mother, their brother, their sister. You remember that in the Bible? Have you read that? And you're like, what are you talking about? Anyone who would follow me must deny themselves and take up the cross. The denial of yourself is the denial of your we self-concept, the denial of your family system. There's people all around the world when they make a decision to follow Jesus, they're having to leave their family behind. When Neha made a decision to follow Jesus, she was distanced from her family. When Neha made a decision to marry Chand, a former, former Muslim who's now a Christian, um, she, her family distanced themselves from her. Why do I share that story? Because when we invite people to Jesus... We invite people into our family. It is not possible to invite people to Jesus without inviting them into our home and into our life and into our community because people are literally denying themselves, losing their entire support system and everything they know to follow Christ. And so we've got to do life together. And if we allow Satan to be a divider and allow the color of, of someone's skin to separate them or their views about politics or the way they understand their world, the gospel will never be preached in all the earth. What if, out of the Azusa Street Revival, we would have stayed united? What if we would have been able to send with strength all people to the ends of the earth? One of the greatest things that's happening right now is that missionaries are being sent from nation to nation. It's one of the most dynamic things. Uh, we're having great success uh, out of Argentina. Brad Wallace has led a great missions movement. Uh, out of India, they're sending missionaries. Out of China, they're sending missionaries. Out of Cuba, they're sending missionaries. I mean, all throughout the earth, people are going uh, to share the gospel, and that's really exciting. Um, we have to preach the whole gospel in the whole whole earth. All right, I want to share a couple things about discipleship for a second because I think this is really important. Um, discipleship is an intentional process. And so uh, most of us are pro- probably grew up in a culture where uh, I call it discipleship by osmosis, right? You go to church, and whatever you happen to hear that day is what you hear, right? And you just kind of take that in, 
and then that's the way you're discipled. We had this cool thing called Sunday School. You remember that? That was a little more intentional process to be discipled. Uh, do you know that, that Sunday School was a powerful evangelistic outreach that happened in the streets and also taught people how to read? Did you know that? So in its heyday, Sunday School was really... Um, really a missional thing that the church was doing to engage people in their community. And then, of course, it, it changed form. But that was a, a intentional process. And there's really just kind of these basic components. Uh, one, some kind of planned curriculum. Now, I know everybody wants to know, what do you use for discipleship? <laughs> uh, if you've been in church leadership for a while or been a part of a church community, you learn... you. You use different things at different times, right? Um, we've used first steps, a 13 week one on one curriculum. We've used navigators materials. Uh, we've used things from gospel publishing house. We've used all sorts of different things throughout the years. It, it really doesn't matter what it is as long as it's something. Are you following me? And so it's gotta be an intentional process with planned curriculum. It can be three weeks, it can be 13 weeks, but, but the idea is if we're going to disciple someone, there has to be an intentional process with planned curriculum. Hey, for the next three weeks, I, w- I want to teach you the following things. You know, how to pray, how to read your Bible, and the importance of staying in fellowship in a church body. So, something like that, but just a real clear thing. Um, it's got to have regular meetings, okay? You have to meet regularly with someone. Hey, let's, when, when does it work for you to meet? Let's meet Saturday morning for breakfast or Wednesday night. Um, so important. And then it's got to include follow up and care. Uh, hey, I would love to, love to, uh, know how you're doing. You told me that there's a lot of chaos in your home and we prayed about that. Tell me what happened this last week. But you never want that that life care stuff to dictate your entire time. You've got to disciple them and what you're planning to disciple them in. So if it's how to read the Word of God, make sure that there's ample time to do that. Now let me bring this full circle. If I've come to faith in Jesus and I live in Iraq and I just gave up my family system to follow Jesus... How important is this discipleship process for my life? It is life itself. It is everything. It is my faith. It is my community. My identity now is in Christ Jesus and in the body of Christ. And if someone doesn't walk with me intentionally, then I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss everything. And so we have, um, um, all these incredible um, missionaries around the world, uh, which I really see as a, a man or woman with an apostolic calling on their life to, to really pioneer the church in an unreached place. Okay? An apostolic call, calling to pioneer the church in an unreached place or to be a part of an apostolic team that would raise up leaders to continue to do the same. So we have men and women, uh, incredible group of Assemblies of God missionaries who are making disciples all throughout the earth. Uh, it takes various forms. Some are meeting one-on-one, some are meeting in small groups, some are, are leading more of a, a congregational style experience like we would understand it. But the, the commonality is they're raising up and making disciples. But we must preach the whole gospel and the whole earth. So I want to introduce something to you that I think is really important and it's something that I'm going to work as a new church planner on in the days ahead. I believe foundational discipleship um, should do two things. One, connect a Christ follower uh, in their relationship with God, Right? That's the prayer, reading your, your Bible, staying connected to a church community, understanding the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, uh, those, those pieces. But at the same time, I believe foundational discipleship should have a missional component. 
I believe that someone in the first weeks of coming to faith in Jesus should understand God's heart to reconcile people, to care for people in the margins, and reach people to the ends of the earth. If we keep someone from understanding this kind of missional, proactive calling that Jesus has for them, then what we're doing is we're creating this individualistic idea of faith and then later on introducing them, oh yeah, and by the way, it's important that you you introduce people to Jesus to the ends of the earth. So think about it this way. When Jesus uh, called the 12 disciples to himself, did he teach them to love and understand who God was? Absolutely, right? But what did he also teach them to do? Care for and love and share the gospel in their community. And so that was, of course, a three-year process, but why not, in the beginning stages of discipleship, introduce people to the idea that we need the whole gospel and the whole earth? And so that's, that's I'm just kind of giving you a little insight. That's what I'm going to work on developing this idea that, hey, within the f- just six or seven weeks, we get this full package. All of that, ready for this? Foundational discipleship is about knowing Jesus. Okay? So if we teach someone uh, the importance of the Word of God, um, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. That's, that's Jesus, right? If we teach someone the value of prayer, we're going to pray in the name of Jesus and talk about Jesus making intercession at the right hand of, of the Father and the importance of praying in the name of Jesus. If we're going to talk about the importance of attending a church body and being a community of Christ followers, what is the church? It's the body of Christ, right? Um, and then if, if we're going to talk about missionally caring for people in the margins, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus says, and what you do the least of these, you do unto me. If we're going to talk about being a witness to the ends of the earth, we're going to talk about being a witness of Jesus and this was a command that he gave us. And so it's all in foundational discipleship about pointing someone to Jesus. I believe we can have a full breath of what that means in those early stages and reinforce that in the future. Um, I know I'm throwing out a lot really quick here. We'll do some questions. Um, If people don't have an intentional process that they're led by someone else through to become a disciple, they won't know how to make a disciple. The equipping really happens in the experience that you're leading someone else to go through. Um, This is where it's been really challenging for churches, especially as we lead by osmosis, and you just don't really have an intentional process, that if you invite people to make disciples, the first thing they're going to say is, what do I do, right? But for the few who've had someone intentionally invest in their life, they usually feel more equipped to do so. And so we've got to um, not only equip people to make disciples, but we need to support them as, as they make disciples, make sure that we have care and, and follow-up. Um, all right, so I'm going to bring this full circle, and then uh, we'll do questions. Um, We have a responsibility and an opportunity to support people with an apostolic call to pioneer new works amongst unreached peoples. Um, And I mean that wholeheartedly. Now, let me me tell you a story. Um, Starting September 1st, you know, this was my big moment, uh, stepping out to, to plant a church. And so I've been trying to just really be prepared on a whole new level. And so um, I made the decision uh, to do something that I had done but not with consistency, and that was to pray for unreached peoples. And so the way that works for for my life and my rhythm, so Monday through Friday, um, I get up at 5.30 in the morning, I spend time in the Word, I spend time in prayer, 
and then I get on an app called Live Dead. And every single morning, there's a different people group. And it'll tell me how many are in that. So a lot of them have 500,000, a million people in them. And then it's going to show me the people group name and the picture. And I'll actually do a little thing. I'll do a Google search and learn even more about them. And I've been praying, and the Lord has been helping me and teaching me to pray with passion that those, those people would have an adequate witness, that God would raise up laborers to go uh, into the harvest field and share the gospel with people. We've been praying that the word of God would rise, right? That they would have the, the word of God in their own language. Uh, been praying against persecution, that men and women would stand strong, that people would experience peace as they're reconciled to the Father, that they'd have dreams and visions. I've been praying and asking the Lord to give me passion for lost people. That, I, I was already excited about the idea of supporting men and women who are stepping out in faith, right, to reach unreached people groups, that's, that's on a whole nother level. <laughs> it's just with joy. And it's been a wrestling. It's been a wrestling from me. God, I want to care about these people who you care about. Jesus, you died on the cross for this people group. It says that every tongue, tribe, and nation will be represented someday in heaven. That includes this people group. God, will you be at work amongst them? And at the same time, I'm praying for the people in my community in Mount Washington where we're planning People's East. God, give me a passion for lost people. It's amazing how those things go together. Lord, help me not be cold. Help me not... And so... so. Um, the Father's heart is for all people and the Father's heart is that we would do both at the same time. So what is this, what is this looking like um, for us? I just, how can we do everything at once? So if you lead a ministry, if you're involved in church, if you're leading missions, um, one, it, I think it's, it's utilizing intentional language. So, uh, remember when I, I shared our new mission statement is to create access for all people to Jesus and His kingdom? Guess what all people includes? My neighbor. Guess what all people includes? People in our community with disabilities who don't currently have access to a church body because things aren't set up right. Guess what all people includes? It includes people to the ends of the earth. And so by sharing that mission, we're able to inspire people to be disciple makers locally, but also understand the value of making uh, disciples globally. And so it's kind of baked into the system. Um, second thing is simplicity. Um, there's so much happening in the kingdom of God. That's complexity. How do we make that simple? I want to I want to share um, what we are doing this year for missions in our church. I uh, made these so you could have one of them. I'm just going to give you some. You can pass those back. Um, for the first time, we condensed all of our above tithe giving into one bucket as a new strategy. There you go. We call it access giving and um, Again, connecting it to the mission you can see at the bottom. This is what we're doing. Um, we're doing unreached people's missions, church multiplication, and biblical justice all in one fund. So if someone gives $1, uh, 60% of that is going to go to missions, 20% of that is going to go to church multiplication, and 20% of that is going to go to biblical justice needs in our own community. 
All of our biblical justice initiatives are Christ-centered. We put in this booklet exactly the dollar amounts. If you go to church multiplication, you can see the churches that we're planning. We left room for uh, spirit-led investments, $10,000 for that category. Um, we, we left room under missions uh, for, for new missionaries to be supported, but also spirit-led investments if there's a project that comes up. We want to support Live Dead even more intentionally. And then, of course, we have the missionaries that we've supported for years as a congregation. But um, this is just an, a way that we started giving. Now, I'm going to tell you, uh, I led the missions board at People's Church for, um, I don't know, six or seven years. This was super scary. <laughs> I had over a year in process to launch this where we talked about and and shared stories and how is this going to work because the concern was if we go to one above tithe giving opportunity that we have this great family of missionary support and we could lose money, right? People all of a sudden who are giving 100% of their dollars to missions now are giving to church multiplication and biblical justice, we're, we're gonna, our system's gonna collapse, right? And I, I said, no, there's other churches doing this and it's working and, you know, we're gonna try it and we're gonna connect to a mission and everything's gonna be full circle. Well, you know, when you haven't seen that before, it, it was a scary, but we took the plunge. Um, this year, People's Church East, because we were, were planning with some strength from People's Church, we're going to participate in this 2018 goal. Uh, some of our people who are already there have done that, but you know we're a new congregation, so we haven't already started yet. I asked the 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 bookkeeper um, how this is going. They have more money than they've had for missions in well over a decade. There is money building up for church multiplication and biblical justice. This is absolutely working. And what's happening is there were people in our congregation who um, are really involved in the community, even high-level donors, um, who weren't involved in missions giving. But guess what just happened when we started this? They're involved in this <laughs> now. There's something that was attracted, attractive about having this holistic thing. There's something about the simplicity. Now we're not talking about with passion. We need to raise money to plant more churches or, or we need to raise money to support people overcoming poverty in our city. And oh, next week, we need to give with strength and missions. People are like, I give my tithe and then I give extra which passionate thing that you're talking about do you want me to get involved in? This has created a simple, this is what we do, access giving. And so I want you to know this has worked. This is working um, right now for our congregation. I love the, do you see the, um, if you go to the back, there's this Isaiah 62.10. I, I love this scripture. Walk out of the gates, get going. Get the road ready for the people, build the highway, get at it, clear the debris, hoist high a flag, a signal to all peoples. Um, in the NIV, it says, uh, you know, raise a flag for all nations. Um, this verse really, for me, shares what it means to create access for all people. We get up, we leave the doors of our church. We remove the obstacles that exist from people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We create highways, pathways, systems, intentional discipleship processes so people can experience Jesus. But we never forget in that to hoist a flag high for all the nations because Jesus cares about the nations of the earth. So, questions, thoughts? I know I threw a lot out there today. <laughs> This is what we encourage people to give above their tithe. We've always done, 
we've never given at People's Church in the time that I've been there since 1988 um, out of the general fund. We found that we have more strength to support missionaries um, when we invite people to give above and beyond the tithe. It's always worked for us. That includes special offerings. We we always take special offerings for guests who come. We've gone. I was the executive pastor for three three years. You know, go through up, ups and downs financially. There was never a correlation. When we would give with strength to missionaries, it didn't mean we're going to have less money for our general fund. There just was no correlation between that. So, in the uh, designations that you've made to church multiplication and to biblical justice. Yeah. Um, how do you apportion those out? I mean, there are you know, very neat portions there. Uh, 25% of it looks like each cause and church multiplication. Um, how does it go out? Does it go out in those sort of neat quantities, or is it being distributed as needed? Uh, yeah. Do you pool it in different pools? How does it work? We're just figuring that out, to be honest. We're just we're just starting. So, you know, it, it, this started in 2018, and so we have not distributed funds yet for that, but you know, just on the cusp of doing that. So, and are these approximations or commitments? We did not commit. So the exciting things, approximations, you know, just in the way I work, we would do the church multiplication stuff last, especially since some of those are for our own network of churches. So we would give out first. The priority is the mission, missionary. So we had established that. So we have missions commitments we're going to give to them. We did not make a commitment, for example, to CityLink Center to give them $10,000. This will just be a blessing to them when we do that. So that's how, to me, it's important to make a commitment to missionaries because they've stepped out and moved their entire family and it's kind of the uh can't remember who the missionary was the famous one who said uh, you know kind of like i'll go down into that hole but you make sure you hold the other end of the rope <laughs> so we're going to hold the other end of the rope and make sure that that's the priority so. but are you obligated to this proportion i mean in other words at the end of the year is your giving going to be 60 20 by guarantee? It's just, so what's happening right now with the, the bookkeeper when she takes the money in, she's dividing it every single week into that portion. So it's just worked out. So 60% that's come in, she's put over in missions, and they have more money than they have in a long time. And then the other 20%, 20% is just building up right now before we send out those funds. So that way... Yeah, it's separated. It's clear right from the beginning. If you ran into a situation where you were short on global entire mission commitments, do you have a plan? Yeah, I'm sure that the the team would just talk there and kind of make that. Yeah, we would always. It's the same that we've always done. That like before this existed, right? And you just have missions. Um, you know, there was decisions at times to use money from the general fund. We worked, I'll explain how we did that. A lot of the times I was, I shouldn't say a lot of times, there were moments where we had a negative operating balance for missions, for missions board. But but the way that worked is, so money that came in in February would be sent out in March, right? So at our March missions board meeting, we're looking at the projections of checks that are about to go out, which would take us into the negative on our operating balances and missions board, but we still had money in the church books in the positive. And so um, in the moments, I never experienced uh, needing to take, take money from the general fund we did do several times in a challenging moment, because I know that's just the reality of missions. We sent correspondence to all of our missionaries. We would say, in the month of March, because missions giving is down, we're going to send 80% of our commitment to you, because we don't want to send any missionaries zero. And we would get an overwhelming response. We would send up by email. 
We're praying for the missionaries. Thank you so much. Love this clear communication. Love this strategy. So thankful you didn't send anyone zero. And we're praying for God's blessing and abundance. Do you know that every time we did that, I think when I was there we did that three times. Giving was strong again. And we sent that money back. The 20% that we weren't able to send that one month, we were able to send a few months later. So just a really cool... It was just fun to have missionaries praying for you. You know, that was really always a, a neat experience. Yeah. When you pitched this to the congregation, um, did you pitch this as a proportional system that was... Yeah, we did. You, you, we actually had a card that says the breakdown and the percentages. But we, we that was in the... We did a... a um, kind of did a little soft moment with the percentages before we really officially went all the way over to here with the dollar amounts. We wanted to list specific dollar amounts. I'll, I'll give you some interesting insight. When we did faith promises, we would have like a, a bunch of people make a, a faith promise. We did that concept for this. We didn't have the strength turned in, but we have way more money coming in <laughs> So that was a little bit scary too, like not as many people made a commitment, but there was a lot lot more money coming in. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic. We're finding my experience is younger people and newer attenders don't usually fill out a faith promise. And so not I still think that's important to activate what's in your heart. But I've seen every single year less and less strength in the return on that. Um, but I think it's important to call people to make a decision in their heart to support missions. So, any other questions or thoughts? Great. Well, can I pray with you? Before we go today, Lord, I thank you for the men and women in this room, and I thank you that they care a great deal about your kingdom. And uh, Lord, I thank you that we're a people led by your Spirit. And I just pray right now in the name of Jesus a blessing on every household and congregation represented here. I pray for your abundance as. As we seek first your kingdom and make disciples here locally and support missionaries globally, God, I pray that our houses would be full of abundance, that our churches would be full of abundance. I pray that you'd give wisdom and strategy, uh, how we can lead with passion for lost people and how we can lead in such a way that that it would include all people. Lord, I thank you for our time together. I pray that uh, everyone would have a great afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.